Let me invite you to grab your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 5. You know, growing up, I used to think that I didn't have a testimony. Anyone else think that way? Like I grew up in a Christian home with loving parents. I was saved at the age of seven. I stayed in church throughout my teenage years. So I'd go to church camp or a youth event, and they'd say, all right, it's testimony time. Anyone else go to a church camp where you had testimony time? And, and, and I would think, well, that's not me. I don't have a testimony. Because other kids would get up there, and they'd talk about how they, you know, they'd done drugs, or they'd lost their parents, or something else really difficult, and how Jesus had saved them this radical way. And I'd be kind of jealous of their testimony. Like, man, I wish I did drugs. No, I'm kidding. No, that's, that's how ridiculous it was, right? I would find myself thinking, you know, my story of following Jesus is kind of boring. It's not a very good testimony. And what was under the surface of that kind of thinking really was pride. If you dug a little bit into my heart and that way of thinking, you would have discovered some thoughts like, well, it wasn't very hard for God to save me because he just didn't have much to save me from. Of course God saved me. I was a good kid. I earned it. Why wouldn't God save me? I didn't say it out loud. But I thought I didn't have a testimony because I didn't need one. But boy, I could not have been more wrong. (laughs) The reality is that everyone who has been saved by Jesus has a radical, ridiculous, miraculous testimony of God's grace. Whether you were saved in college or kindergarten, living out on the streets or in a beautiful home, every time Jesus saves someone, he changes everything. It's a miracle. And we don't always see it immediately. It's not always radical on the outside, but it's always radical on the inside. Because the gospel tells us that when we trust in Jesus, we become a whole new person. Our hearts are transformed or changed from the inside out. See, without Jesus, we are much worse off than we realized. And with him, we're now much better off than we know. And that's the major point that the Apostle Paul wants to make as we begin a new section of our letter, of his letter to the Roman church. The central theme, the big idea of this whole letter, we said it's, it's the gospel. Paul's laying it out piece by piece, and you remember he started with the bad news. And then he gave us the solution that we can actually be saved from our sin. We can be made righteous if we put our faith in Jesus. In fact, we said it's faith and faith alone that's the only basis for our salvation. And now in Romans chapter 5, Paul's going to continue to show why faith alone is the only way we can be justified by God. But now he's going to do that by focusing on the object of our faith. Who is our faith in exactly? And why does that matter? And how does that impact our lives today? So let's walk through our text together this morning, piece by piece. And then we'll come in at the end and and see what it all means. Look with me at Romans chapter 5. Let's just start with verse 1. The Apostle Paul wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, preachers get uh, so excited when they see that word, therefore, because they get to tell the worst and best preacher joke ever. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it's this one. When you see a therefore, you need to ask what it's. Oh, you guys. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Preachers love it. But seriously, the word therefore, it is a word to stop and notice because it means that the argument before is now being summarized. Something's coming, building on that. So Paul says, hey, in light of what I just said in in chapter 4, all that talk about faith, since we have been justified by faith, here's the big conclusion. We have peace with God through Jesus. Now, when we hear that word peace, we tend to think of a feeling, 
right? It's the absence of stress. It's, it's uh, uh, nothing's bothering us. We're, we're singing kumbaya, right? But the biblical idea of peace is much more than that. In the Bible, peace is not a subjective feeling, but it's an objective reality. That means it's not dependent on circumstances or stress or busyness or trials or our feelings, but it's a constant state based on your standing with God. Notice Paul doesn't say we have peace from God, though that's true. He's saying here that we have peace with God. This speaks to our relationship with him. This is something we don't think about a whole lot because, well, it's not a very pleasant thought. But we're going to see in a few verses that before Jesus, we did not have peace. We actually lived as enemies of God. Let's just sit with that for a second. This is disturbing. It should be. What does it mean to be God's enemy? That doesn't sound good to me, does it? We love to think about God's love for all people, which is true, and God's mercy and kindness, which is true. But it's also true that those who do not follow Christ are God's enemies. And we've seen that throughout Romans 1 through 3. Because of our, our sin, our default position with God is hostility. He has anger and wrath towards us, and we have hatred and anger toward him. And as a result, we deserve his judgment, not his love. But it's through Jesus that our relationship gets flipped around. When we put our faith in Jesus, we become sons and daughters of God. We become friends with God. We have peace with him. And again, that's not some subjective feeling of, yay, God's love me. God loves me and everything's great. No, this is an objective fact. When you trust in Christ, you are immediately forgiven of all your sin. God's love and grace is poured out in your heart, and he is now for you. He will provide for you. This is what it means to have peace with God through Jesus. Now Paul's going to lay out for us the day-to-day implications of what that means. Look at verses 2 through 5. He writes, through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here we see three impactful truths in our day-to-day lives of having peace with God. First, he says we have access to grace. We have access to the presence of God. One of the best pictures of our changed relationship with God happened the moment Jesus died on the cross. The Gospels tell us that when Jesus breathed his last breath, the veil in the temple was torn. Do you remember that? Now, why does that matter? Well, this veil was a huge, thick curtain that that was used to separate people from the presence of God. They, They could not enter the Holy of Holies. And the curtain was there to symbolize that separation. So what do you think it meant for that curtain, that veil, to be completely ripped in half from top to bottom, which was a really thick veil? This meant that access to God was now open. Because of Jesus, we can now experience the presence of God in our day-to-day lives. We can talk to him in prayer. We can spend time in his word. We can be confident that he's with us. Second impact we see of having peace with God is rejoicing in hope. Now, the biblical definition of hope is not wishful thinking. It's not, man, I hope I make it to heaven when I die. No, the biblical idea of hope is confident expectation based on the word of God. Because we have peace with God, we can be completely confident that one day we will be with him for all eternity. 
We have a future hope that brings us present joy because we know how things will end up. The third impact we see of having peace with God is joy in suffering. One of the most bizarre things Christians do is rejoice in suffering. Who in their right mind would have joy when something bad is happening to him? And the world sees this, and this is so foreign and strange to them. Did you guys see the story of the 12 missionaries who were kidnapped and held hostage in Haiti? They were there serving the Lord when a Haitian gang kidnapped them and held them captive for two months. Back in December, they were finally released, and I read through the news report. It said by rare record that they spent their captivity praying, singing, and encouraging their captors to repent and trust Jesus. And when they were released, they sent out this statement saying that they actually forgave their kidnappers because of Jesus. And what an example of rejoicing and suffering that is. And though you and I may not be kidnapped on the mission field, we too have an opportunity to display Christ in our trials. Paul tells us why we can rejoice in our sufferings. Here's why. It's because they're good for us. Yeah, suffering, difficulty, hardship. For the Christian, ultimately, these things are good for us. Because suffering produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. And this is really incredible when you think about it because this means that God has so rigged the system that even when Christians get kidnapped or get cancer or get betrayed or lose everything they have, it ends up some way, somehow, as our gain. It's growing us into the image of God, which in the image of Jesus, which means we have greater joy. This is all because we have peace with God through Jesus. In the last section of this passage, Paul is now going to zoom in on that through Jesus part. He wants us to see why this comes through Jesus and how we can be confident in our faith in him. Look at verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, these are really, really important verses because they tell us why Jesus is the one we put our faith in, why Jesus is the one who saves us. He tells us, he says, it's all because of the cross. As I said earlier, the death of Jesus is the reason we have peace with God. The, the cross is what makes all this possible because it was at the cross that Jesus took our place. Remember, we're sinners who deserve God's judgment that there is a payment for sin. And because God is just and fair and holy, he can't excuse that sin and evil. Someone had to pay for it. But on the cross, God chose to pour out his wrath and anger for our sin on Jesus instead of on us. You know, when we think about the cross, we often think of the physical pain that Jesus endured. No doubt, that, that was terrible. The, the thorns, the nails, the, the beatings. But what made the cross truly horrific is the spiritual pain that Jesus endured. Think about it. Every sin ever committed for all people, for all time, all of God's hatred and anger toward all that sin was poured out in one instant on Jesus. Do you remember that story from Genesis about Sodom and Gomorrah, these two evil cities, and God destroyed them by raining down fire and just completely wiping the places out? Think about it. That was the just judgment for two cities. Now multiply that times a billion and think about what Jesus experienced on the cross for you. 
Do you get that? Jesus took our place. He took the payment we deserve so that we could go free. And perhaps the most shocking part of all, he says he did this while we were still sinners. This is Paul's big point. He says, hey, you and me, we might give up our life for another person, if it's a good person. We would probably die, most of us, for our family, maybe some of our friends. But who would die for their own enemy? Jesus would. That's who. And he didn't just die for one bad person. He died for billions of bad people, sinners like me. God knew that we would sin against him, and yet he still sent his son to the earth anyway. Think about it. Jesus knew all of his disciples would abandon him on the night he was betrayed, yet he still called them to follow him. Jesus knew Judas would betray him, yet he still washed his feet and loved him anyway. Jesus knew the people would hang him on a cross, torture and kill him, yet he forgave them anyway. And Jesus knew that you and I would sin and fail him in so many ways. As he hung there on the cross, he knew, but he chose to die anyway. What could possibly motivate someone to do that? There's only one thing, and it's, it's love. It's radical love. John 3.16 tells us, for God so loved the world. He loved the world in this way, that he sent his own son. It was love that took Jesus to the cross. It was love that held him to it. See, even though we were God's enemies, God did not want us to stay that way. His desire has been always to save his people. And that's why he crushed his own son so that we could have a relationship with him. This is what it means that peace with God comes through Jesus. But it didn't stop at the cross. Now Jesus continues to work in us now. Look at these last verses, verses 9 through 11. He says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. In these three verses, we see all three tenses of our salvation. We see the past tense, we were justified, we were reconciled by Jesus we see the present tense. We rejoice in God now because we've now received reconciliation. And we see future tense. We will be saved by God's wrath when Jesus comes back. We will be saved by his life. And from my experience, what we tend to do is we tend to only focus on, on the past tense. Like Jesus saved me. He died for me. I accepted it. And now I'm just hanging away until I fly away to heaven. Whatever. That's not the biblical view of the Christian life. Salvation is an ongoing process that reorients our whole life. Yes, we were saved at one time, in an instant, in the past. When we put our faith in Jesus, we were saved. But if God saved us when we were enemies, what do you think he's going to do for us now that we're his friends? God continues to save us from our sin. He continues to work in our lives. And one day he will fully and finally save us forever. Look, your salvation is secure and certain, but it's not over. <laughs> God is still working. That's why you have the Holy Spirit living in you. That's why we long for and wait for Jesus to return when he'll finish his work, when he'll eliminate all the sin and evil in the world and restore us to a perfect place with him. See, Paul's made it abundantly clear. Jesus changes everything. And it all comes through, he said it, through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all because of Jesus. 
So in light of that, let me pull out three incredible truths from this passage that we can take home with us today. Here's the first. Number one, faith in Jesus changes our past. Our culture today talks a lot about living with no regrets. There's a lot of emphasis on, on getting rid of guilt and shame and living life to the fullest so we can look back and not wish we had done anything differently. And that sounds nice, but here's the reality. <laughs> we all have regrets. We all have things we look back on and wish we had not done that or said that. We're sinners. Therefore, we all have these past mistakes, things we'd go back and do differently if we could. We all carry around a, a little bit of baggage from past brokenness. It's, it's part of living in a fallen world. And I'll be the first to tell you, there are many things I wish I had not done. Or for me, it's more like things I wish I had not said. <laughs> Anybody with me? I wish I had not made fun of people and been plain mean to others growing up in school. I wish I had appreciated my parents and my sisters more when I lived at home. I wish I had not given in to the sin of lust in the ways that I did. I wish I had not been so selfish and prideful at times in my marriage. If I had a time machine, there's a long list of moments I would go back and redo. But here's the thing. Time machines don't exist. There's no eraser for life's mistakes. We cannot rewind and replay those moments. But when we put our faith in Jesus, God actually does something better than erasing your past. He does two things. He forgives and he redeems. First, he forgives. When's the last time you thought about God's forgiveness? You just dwelt on that. Every sin you've ever committed 20 years ago, 20 weeks ago, 20 minutes ago, in Christ, all those things are forgiven. God's taken your past sins away. They're canceled. They're gone. And not only that, the Bible tells us something amazing about God's forgiveness. In Isaiah 43, 25, God says this. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Did you catch that? God not only forgives our sins, he actually forgets them too. Wait a second. How does an all-knowing God forget something? Let's don't overthink it, okay? What this means is that when God forgives you, he chooses not to think about it ever again. Of course he knows everything, but he chooses not to dwell on your sin. It's gone. It's erased. He's not going to bring it back up. He's not adding it to the list of failures to throw in your face. There is no list. And what this means is that your past does not define you. What you did, no matter how messed up it was, no matter how many consequences you still live with today, you are not your past. In Christ, it's forgiven and gone. But God not only forgives and forgets, he also redeems our past. I was talking to an older brother in Christ recently who I really look up to and respect. And he shared with me about how in the early years of his marriage, he made a major mistake. He almost lost everything. He almost destroyed his marriage. But by God's grace, he, he was forgiven and he repented and he made things right. And he says now because of what he did, because of God's forgiveness, he's now able to help other people in their marriages. Through Christ, he's able to counsel and to save many other marriages with his story. God redeems our past and he uses even our greatest mistakes for his glory. I've experienced this in my life too. All the time, I'm able to share with people things I've done, mistakes I've made, how I've learned, 
I can warn other people not to be like me. I can show them, hey, there's always hope, no matter how bad you blow it. We don't have to hide our sin. We don't have to try to forget that part of our past or, or tuck it away in the junk drawer of our lives. But we can actually see that God redeems it and uses it for his glory. So when we trust in Jesus, he changes our past. That's first. Here's second. Here's the second truth we see. Number two, faith in Jesus changes our present. One of the saddest realities is that for many Christians today, Jesus makes no discernible difference in their day-to-day life. Outside of a Sunday morning habit, the rest of their life proceeds exactly as it would had they never claimed to follow Christ. The way they spend their time, the way they spend their money, the way they treat others, their passions, their hobbies, their interests, their attitudes, their struggles, their marriage, their family, those things are all just the same as they would be if they were lost. Friends, that's not biblical Christianity. Paul shows us when you encounter Jesus, there is a radical life change that totally transforms how you live your life. And this comes from having peace with God through Jesus. <laughs> when you have peace with God, you don't have to worry and fear and panic like the world does. When you have peace with God, you don't have to try and find your worth in your career or your, your finances or your social standing. When you have peace with God, you don't have to worry and be lonely that, you're, that you've messed up too bad and lost him or gotten separate. God is always with you. When you have peace with God, you, you learn to rejoice in every situation. You don't have to hang your head and say, woe is me, because you know God is always working. And that's just the beginning of the list of ways Jesus changes our present. In fact, we're going to spend the rest of this book seeing all the ways the gospel impacts our daily lives. Because when you follow Christ, you cannot help but reorient, reorient everything around him. Jesus is not an add-on. He's not just a part of your life like this Sunday morning segment over here. No, Jesus is your life. He's the lens through which everything else filters, and he should make an obvious difference in the way you live. Not just here at church, but at home, at work, in the community, in your neighborhood, everywhere. Faith in Jesus changes your present. That's second. Here's the third and last. Faith in Jesus changes your future. For many people out there, when they think about what will happen to them after they die, they don't really know. They may have an idea. They may have a belief, but they don't have much confidence in that. They hope that there's life after this, after this life. They hope that they'll make it to a better place. They hope that God will accept them. But this kind of hope is really just a wish. There's no certainty. So most people today live with this deep fear of death, not knowing what's going to happen for them when they die. But that is not the case for those who have faith in Jesus. When you know and follow Jesus, you don't have to fear death. You don't have to wonder what's going to come after. We have a confident hope that there's more to this life than this life. And the next life is going to be far better than this one. See, when Jesus changes you, he changes your future. You're no longer a citizen of this world, but you're a citizen in heaven. You're on the roster. You're in the book. Your name's written in permanent ink. It can't be changed. So when you stand before God, there will be no fear of judgment because there is no more judgment left to give. Jesus has already taken your judgment on the cross. There will be no wrath or anger or disappointment or head shaking or I can't believe you did that. God the Father will look at you and he will see you in the righteousness of Christ as his perfect son or daughter and he'll say, welcome home. This is what it means for Jesus to change your life. 
It's complete and total because Jesus changes everything. So let me ask you this morning as we close. Has Jesus changed everything for you? I'm not asking if you checked the box Christian. I'm not asking if you made some sort of decision in your past. I'm not asking if you go to church and do Christian things. I'm asking, has Jesus changed your life? Is your life different right now because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago? Or is your life just as it would be if he had not lived at all? If we were to follow you around for a day, would we see evidence that you follow and live for Jesus? Maybe you're thinking this morning, man, I, I need a life change. I don't want my life anymore. I need something different. Or maybe you're thinking, you know, I've called myself a Christian. I've been to church, but I've never really experienced this kind of change that you're talking about today. If that's you, I want you to know that Jesus can change everything for you today. No matter who you are. No matter where you've been. He can forgive and redeem your past. He can bring joy and purpose to your present. He can bring hope and confidence to your future. He can do all that and more today. And he only asks one thing of you. You don't have to memorize the Bible. You don't have to go without sinning for a whole week. You don't have to know all the right answers. Paul has made it abundantly clear in Romans. All it takes to be saved by faith, by Jesus, is faith. He simply says, come. Come to me. Faith means to turn away from your sin and your old life and turn to Jesus and trust in him. It's a decision that happens on the outside, but it affects everything in your life. It's simple. Faith. And in that moment, when you make that decision, that's when Jesus changes everything. Listen, he did it for me. He's done it for many others in this room, and he can do it for you too.